Football Podcast. I'm Luke Cunningham, your host, and today we bring you a story of extraordinary endurance and ambition. We are joined by Sachin Lati, not just an ultramarathon athlete, but a man committed to redefining the limits of human potential. Sachin's journey is nothing short of remarkable, from his years in law enforcement in Canada to his transition into the world of ultramarathons. His path is one of continuous transformation. But Sachin isn't just running races, he's on a quest to do something few have dared to attempt, running across Canada and breaking the world record. In this episode, Sachin will share his personal journey through life's extremes, from dealing with personal and professional upheavals to finding solace and strength in the rigorous discipline of ultra-endurance sports. His story goes beyond physical endurance, delving into how these grueling challenges have helped him confront mental and emotional barriers, leading to profound growth and self-discovery. Whether you're seeking inspiration to overcome your own challenges, curious about the extraordinary world of ultra-endurance, or simply in awe of human determination, this episode is a riveting exploration of what it means to push the boundaries of possibility. Join us for a journey into the heart of resilience and ambition with Sachin Lati, right here on The Unbreakable. Sach, welcome to The Unbreakable. It's incredible having you here. Um, already it's it's become evident that there's a there's a rich um story of determination and purpose built amongst you um reflecting on your life so far and maybe for the benefit of listeners could you give us a synopsis as, as to your background um and and if there are any really identifying or major milestones that have helped create who you are today that would be wonderful sure so um <clears throat> 18 years in law enforcement uh, uh, here in Canada, athlete for most of my life, and most recently have been engaging in ultra endurance events uh, to raise money and, and fundraise for charities that support veterans and first responders. Now, that's me in a nutshell, but uh, significant times in my life. Oh, man, I was uh, born to immigrant parents, um, parents from India. And uh, grew up in Ontario, and then from a younger age, around 11 or 12, my dad uh, was working for a telecommunication company, so we moved to the States. That was a pretty uh, a big sort of significant time period for me, moving to Dallas, Texas, and my transition from Canada to that. And then again, probably around 19 was another pivotal moment in my life where um, my, my family lost a lot of money in terms of business. and. They were starting over again, and there was a lot of sort of turmoil during that time. And then uh, moving back to Canada, there was a, I, I ended up uh, from Dallas, uh, moved uh, back to Vancouver, actually, at that time. And so there's been a lot of uh, moving pieces and parts. Um, so for me to identify specific moments that were pivotal, I'd have to reflect back um, very carefully. But I'd say the most recent pivotal moment in my life was three years ago or two years ago when I met a, uh, a mentor and friend, Sean Taylor, and then I started moving in the path I'm in now. And, and law enforcement, what was the initial driver that found yourself working in this space? And, and in what space within law enforcement were you? Uh, I worked for uh, CBSA, Canada Border Services Agency, uh, Immigration and Customs Officer. And um, let's see, honestly, like the full truth, um, I applied because it was a government job and um, pension and it was security. And I thought it would be something that I could dig my teeth into in terms of a service-oriented um, uh, career. 
no doubt. Um, and I think we're both at a similar age, uh, around our early mid forties. One imagines that with such a, a respectable and, you know, and a strong career within law enforcement, the conditions are set that you can become very comfortable, um, and playing more into your pension. Um, but that's not what quite happened. What were some of the triggers that, you know, made, made Satch actually think and revisit his life as it relates to what he wants to be doing going forward? The first 10 years was me all in. Um, I was, you know, I loved it. I, uh, I loved the camaraderie. I loved the, the work I was doing. Um, and it was, it's important work, right? But for me, after about 10 years, I started, um, and this is obviously in that moment after 10 years, I wasn't really thinking this, but now with the time and able to reflect upon it, I think I was getting bored. I think I was getting to a place where I wasn't learning anymore and I wasn't really growing. And it left me stagnant. It left me someone who wasn't really engaging in life as much. Right. And, and um, so I think that's slowly I started searching things out at that time, but not until I was going through my divorce that it really, uh, I really got after it and really started diving deeper into um, what I really wanted out of life. And with regards to taking on significant and, and some really serious endurance events, what channeled you down that path? Having done, having looked at your background, um, there's bodybuilding, um, there's martial arts. You don't look like you've got the frame for ultra endurance, uh, but yet you found yourself down, down in this path and, and excelling. What, what brought about the endurance side of things? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it was a, like a confluence of things that happened you know pandemic kicked off um i was dealing with a lot of stressors at work and i was going through my divorce so all of these things at the same time were really taking a toll on me from a mental health perspective and um i was experiencing severe anxiety and depression like pretty bad and I didn't know how to manage any of it, especially during the pandemic, because normally my normal coping mechanisms were either, OK, I'm going to go work out jujitsu or I'm going to grab a pint. Right. And um, I, because of the things I was dealing with, like primarily the divorce and work stresses, I, I thought to myself at this time, man, I, I probably should stay away from the booze um, because, you know, especially the way my mental health was, I thought it would be a, a really bad alternative to start drinking and partying so, yeah so i um i honestly man i was i was in a bind i didn't know what to do and i just started reading some books and podcasts and 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 i came across david goggins can't hurt me i read the first couple chapters of that book and you know it's i mean obviously everyone kind of knows what the underlying theme of that book is is chase adversity do hard things you know uh, and um, for me, when I first read the book or first started engaging in the book, I interpreted it as do physical hard things. <laughs> and um, so for me at the time, run running was just not an option. I hadn't ran since high school. I wasn't a runner at all. And um, I thought, OK, well, running is freaking hard. I hate running. Let me try running. And I slowly started to use running to help manage my mental health. And, and that's kind of what started the whole process. Really interesting. And, and do you find 
you know, if you've suffered an injury or a setback and, and the running has removed from your from your daily um, your daily schedule, do you get tenses, tendencies to creep back into that old mindset? Do you find it's, it's almost um, therapeutic as well? Mm, that's a really insightful question. I'll explain why I think so. Um, had I not done anything else over the last three years, I think it would have been a problem just leaning on running as a tool to help with my or manage my mental health. So over the last three years, I've been diving deep in this space quite a bit and trying to find many tools to use to help myself to understand myself better like I, I, to be honest man i didn't really understand who i was as a person um, most of my life i've had a, a facade up or, or, or a mask what i thought i should act like and what kind of person i should be and because i wasn't really happy with my authentic self like i felt um felt embarrassed of who I was, I guess, for whatever the reasons were. Um, but now I feel more, um, because of a lot of the things I've been doing, I feel good about who I am. So I'm just now I'm authentically who I am. So when you see me, I'm, my mannerisms are who I am. Whereas a few years ago, I was very controlled and very, you know, stoic, so to speak, from for, um, certain perspectives, wouldn't show emotion very much. Now I'm just a emotional <laughs> person all over the place. But um yeah, so I, I, I've been, the running has been just a, a catalyst for me to become a better person, I guess. It's, uh, it's really inspiring. I've, I've been through to a degree and not to the, to the, to the level that nowhere near you've been, but I, I felt the same struggles. Um, I, I felt the same, um, you know, internal fight as it relates to um, that authenticity, you know, whether I'm playing a particular role or whether I'm being my authentic self. And, and I found that particularly difficult, especially as of a transition from the work I used to do to, to corporate America. It calls on very different traits and very different things. Um, and, and I think I'm at sync at that. Whilst you took on running, um, in an endurance capacity. Um, and I don't know if you've been down this path, <laughs> but I looked at psychedelics um, and that had a profound impact on myself, which is so alien to me coming from the military. And, you know, I'm sure similar to yourself, you know, you don't, it's still so taboo to talk about these mm -hmm. kind of things, but um, psychedelics had a similar impact as it sounds like it, it did for you, which just just accelerated. Um, and then I needed to obviously take, take stock of my life and, and, you know, my actions and my interactions, but, um, I, it definitely resonates. It definitely resonates with, with find, finding that outlet. Um, no, I, and sorry to interrupt, but I think, um, the psychedelic space is a very interesting space and I haven't, um, experimented or explored it quite yet, but I do know a lot of people who have, and they've all, you included, have, uh, said only positive things about it. And the, and probably one of the main reasons why I haven't engaged is I'm, I'm still technically employed uh, by the agency. So I'm in the process of transitioning out. So I, I probably wouldn't be allowed to, um, partake in it. But having said that, I think I, ex I explored cannabis in that regard. And for me, um, I never like when cannabis became legal in Canada is when I started engaging in it. And, um, for me, it w I kept it really quiet even amongst my colleagues. Cause you know, that taboo sort of feeling. Um, but I experimented quite a bit and it, it, 
I did use it as a crutch at, at one point because I felt like, you know, so much was going on in my head and it was like all this white noise and I couldn't even concentrate on a run sometimes. So I would have to even, you know, maybe take an edible just to quiet down the, the noise a bit. But uh, to your point, I think, um, you know, th when it comes to mental health, I think... Um, I think nothing should be taboo, right? I think everything should be on the table when it comes to becoming better and whatever that means to whoever's listening, right? To optimize yourself as an individual, everything should be on the table, in my opinion. Yes, I, I think if it's, you know, bearing no pain or displeasure to anyone else uh, and it's self-beneficial, then I think it's within the realms of, you know, acceptable, which was certainly an alien concept for me to get around with being, you know, hardwired, being in the military for so long. But uh, psilocybin and then a little later DMT is something I tried. It was just like a complete rewiring of the system. It was it was incredibly profound. Um yeah, it was so, you know, to just get back on track, I, I felt a similar, uh, a similar sense of, or urge of energy that, you know, you get obviously through, through running. Um, as it relates to the endeavors that you're undertaking, uh, clearly aside from the rigorous physical training and, and of course the undeniable toll, I imagine that takes someone's body. There's another critical aspect of preparing for such an endurance feat, which is building mental and, and emotional robustness. How do you how do you prepare yourself mentally and emotionally to endure such extreme demands um, as it relates to the challenges that that you do? Yeah, I think it's been it's been a process for sure, right? Like um, what I'm able to take on now, I wouldn't have been able to take on two years ago. So you build upon it. At least I have. I've built upon that mental fortitude year after year, or not even year after. I'd, I'd even almost say week after week, because I'm constantly testing myself. Now, it's not always testing myself physically. I'm testing myself in every aspect that I can tackle, like anything I can sink my teeth into that, that is going to test me. Um, more often than not, I'm going to engage it, even though I know like it's going to be so difficult to do. So um, because I know over the last two years I've in doing that, I can reflect over the last two years and the delta between where I was two years ago versus where I am now is just, I'm 15 different people because of all the things that I've engaged in. Now, um, you were mentioning the, the difficulty to do what I'm doing from a physical perspective, but I, I would outline, um, there's a couple things that are very difficult in, in what I'm trying to achieve here. Obviously the physical um, toll, but for me, that's almost like, it's kind of my natural thing. It's like, okay, cool, man, let's go, right? It's, it's not like a, a, a major thing. It, yeah, don't get me wrong. It's hard, it's difficult, but it's not difficult for me to get motivated to do the things. But there are a million other things that I'm trying to do that are the same thing for me. So, you know, outreach, man, like the training's one thing, but we're trying to get the entire country knowing what's going on here. You know what I mean? And and that requires effort and I'm I'm... I was not that guy to strategically plan these things and figure them all out, but I've been forced to figure it out because of what I'm trying to do. So I think that's been a significant challenge for me, trying to learn that process, trying to get better at speaking to people, engaging with people, trying to be more, um, trying to be more engaging myself where people would might want to listen to me. Right. You know, so um, that's been, you know, a significant effort for me. And then, also building sort of a community around what I'm doing. Um, that has been an effort. And then logistically planning the events 
um, you know, let's say for, for next year, I'm planning to run from Thunder Bay to Victoria, which is 3,100 kilometers. And so logistically planning something like that out, I'll, I'll be doing it myself. So, you know, that takes time and effort and figuring out the things. So, um, from, uh, like, I mean, man, I tell you what, man, you tell me five years ago, if I was going to be doing something like this, I would have been like, no way in hell I could do anything. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, I picked up, you mentioned you've almost been like 15 different versions of yourself as, as you've obviously evolved over the last few years. Um, undertaking these, these endurance events, have you had any real profound self revelationary moments, um, that, that you can share that have come as a result of, you know, undertaking such feats? Yeah, man, there's been so many because <clears throat> they've been <sighs> spiritual life changing. I mean, it's, it's amazing, man. Like, so I, the first one, the first one that pops off in my head, April of 2022, I, um, so last year I scheduled myself to do run nine ultra marathons in nine months. And, um, <laughs> that's for someone who'd never even entered a race before. I haven't even entered a five kilometer race, 10 kilometer. The first time I did a half marathon, actual le- legitimate race was, um, earlier this year. Right. So it's all been self pushed. I'm going to run over there. I'm going to run over here, you know, that kind of stuff. And so when I scheduled myself to run these nine ultra marathons last month, I hadn't even done a marathon. So like I I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't understand the environment. I didn't understand the people. I didn't understand the logistics. I didn't understand the nutrition, the fuel, nothing. I was going in like zero. And because I had a significant ego at the time. At the time, I was like, man, whatever. I just ran 100K November 7th. I raised money for charity. I'm a badass. I can do this thing, whatever. I can run 100 miles, whatever, right? So the first uh, race I did was um, in Victoria. It was uh, around the Elk River, or sorry, Elk Lake. Um, it's about a 10-kilometer loop, and it was a 100-kilometer race. So you would do, you know, just continue with the loops. And actually, no, sorry, this was my second race. So I learned a little bit from the first one where I got slaughtered. I'll explain that one after. But the second one, this is why I, I want to mention the second one, because it was very pivotal. I had a moment. And so the 100 kilometer race had a cutoff of about uh, 12 hours. So if you didn't finish in 12 hours, you know, I was done at the race organizers, everyone would leave. And um, I was the worst. <laughs> I was uh I mean there was a woman man she was like in her 60s and she crushed it in like 10 hours it was like amazing to see I didn't even know these people existed until this time like still I started doing these things but anyway so I was um I didn't understand how to properly fuel myself when it came to the sodium and electrolytes and and the food and whatnot so I was all over the place for the first 50 60k and what ended up happening, and then my pacing was way off. I was going faster for the first 21K and it just, my legs blew up, right? So the, I started getting some significant edema in my legs and it started getting to the point where I was around 60 and then 70 kilometers. I came back at the pit crew where I had uh, two of my friends helping. And uh, one of my friends was, was an RCMP member and uh, used to be a paramedic. So she was working on my legs. And she was like, man, you, you shouldn't be doing anymore. You should actually stop now. And I was like, no, nah, I can't really do that. <laughs> but uh, but before we started, I know how I am, right? So I said, before we even started, go, you're in charge. Whatever you say goes, I'm going to follow your lead, you know, whatever, right? But then I got in a, not an argument, but we got in a bit of a debate. And I was like, you know what? How about this? 
let me do one more lap. We'll see how I am after this lap. And then we'll recalibrate and go from there. She's like, okay, cool. So at this time, it was about 15 hours. So everyone was already gone. The race organizers had left. They closed down everything. It was getting dark now. And I, and it was taking me close to two hours to run 10K. So I was pretty much doing like the airborne shuffle. I was just shuffling. I was barely moving. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, so I, I kick off on the last sort of lap, which inevitably became the last lap. I, I was running, AKA walking, s- sauntering, whatever you want to call it. And it was dark. It was dark. And no one else was there. <clears throat> and I was uh, running uh, on the on the trail. And it wasn't a single track. It was a fairly large trail. It was, a, you know, a public trail. And, but the trees were so high and everything was kind of really, um, you know, cut and trimmed in, in a nice way. It almost felt like walls around me of trees. And I was walking I was looking around and I was just kind of thinking and I just started smiling. Like in that moment, I started smiling and I was in a great deal of pain, man. I was like, I was not feeling good, but I started smiling and I thought, man, this is it right here. I'd rather do this than go to work. Like the, the, in that moment, I was like, this is what I want to do. And, and um, so it, it just felt right. It felt organic. It felt authentic. And um, so I finished that lap and we called it and it was about 80 something kilometers later. And, and then we went home and had some dinner, but that, that, moment i remember very distinctly for sure man because it, it, it almost like i leaned more into what i was doing like i was like okay this just feels right man and, and it reminded me of another time when i was on uh i i did serve for a short period of time in the canadian military um and i was a in uh i was in gauge town in oromocto uh out in New Brunswick and I was doing my phase two training of infantry and we we're just going on a ruck march right and it was cold as heck out and you know but your typical kind of ruck march that you're going out on and I was smiling during then and it reminded me of the same thing like the same feeling I, w- I was reminded of the discomfort but I was smiling in it and I was like oh man this is what I want to do so it's uh it was very <laughs> it was a very calming uh experience for sure I, I got yeah I couldn't I couldn't help thinking of a of a, of a brief episode i i did an ultra myself this was a few years ago um the grizzly ultra uh, which is up in the mountains in, in banff and um i would just i i was on leave from 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 my work in in afghanistan and i remember a lady beating me and passing me wearing a wedding dress um and you know as it relates to an ego a deteriorating moment uh, that was it for me but uh, i wouldn't have changed it for, for anything there is is the quite unique some of these um revelatory moments that 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 one has um or, or that we have which is which is excellent as it relates to the event and um you know, you're going to start capturing the imagination of far more, obviously taking part in podcasts and being on the radio and, and the TV and, and the news articles. Can you share with us, can you give us a vivid picture of what's actually in store? Um, when's this endeavor kicking off as it relates to running Canada? Uh, what are some of the thrilling, maybe some of the unexpected aspects logistically and admin mm-hmm. of undertaking such a feat? Because um, you're not just attempting to to transit Canada, but you're attempting to break the world record um, as well. Yeah, share with us. Yeah, man. Um, so let me just give a bit of background on this. Like <clears throat> my whole vision has been to run across Canada when I first started running. I just didn't know how I was going to do it. So I set, I set a goal, right? And um, 
and in, in a, a rough plan with actually no, to be honest, I didn't even know why I came up with it. I was just compelled for some reason. And um, so I think it was about two years ago. I was like, man, I, I want to see. I'll tell you exactly what happened. So in uh, February of 2021, I set a challenge for myself to be able to run a half marathon every single day for a week. And because I had heard a guy named Cameron Haynes on a podcast saying when he would train for an ultra, like a hundred mile race or a 200 mile race, he would run a marathon every single day in preparation. When I heard that, I was like, what? I, I didn't even think that was humanly possible, number one. And I didn't think people did that. <laughs> it was like, you're running a hundred mil. What? So when I heard that, I was super curious and I was like, man, I want to do that. I want to be able to do that. Cause I thought it was badass. And maybe because I've always hated running and maybe I was the worst because I was the worst runner on my wrestling team when I was in high school. I mean, maybe it could have all these elements to it. Right. But I, um, I heard that and I was like, man, I want to, I want to be able to do that. So February, 2021, like, and I set a goal to run a half marathon every single day because I like the, the, the fathom a marathon every single day. I was like, okay, let me just chip this down to a smaller sort of goal here. So I, I gave myself a 10 week pro program. I created one for myself where I'd start at 11 kilometers every single day and then I progressively increase it every single week. And then after 10 weeks, we hit 21 and I got to 21K. At the end of that like, 10 week period, I was like, holy shit. Okay, it clicked. I can run across Canada. I thought it, immediately thought of Terry Fox. And I was like, man, if I could run a half in the morning, I could run a half in the afternoon. I could run across Canada in six months. Like, and so really Terry Fox was kind of inspired me because I was like, man, I'm a pretty good athlete. You know, I am older, but um, I'm a pretty good athlete. I have all my faculties. It's not, I'm not diminished. Right. And uh, man, I thought if he could do what he was doing, I could, I could do that. So that's what started the concept. And I was like, okay, I want to run across Canada. Then after a year of training, I, I got to the point where I thought I could probably run a marathon every single day. And I was like, man, if I can do this now, what could happen if I went all in, left my job and just did all the things associated to it? What could I do then? And that's when I started talking to Sean, my friend. And Sean's like, man, what about a take? What, what about a record? I was like, man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I could break a freaking record. He's like, well, no, no, I'm not meaning about like speed, but maybe a record for money, like how much money you raise or this, that, and the other. But my friend Sean, he's a good buddy of mine, he understands how I tick. And he knew dropping that seed would kind of grow into what it's growing in now. For me, it wouldn't have been about money. It would have been about the task. I want to be able to see if I can break a record, right? Anyway, so having said that, I was like, okay, cool. Let's see if I can do that. And then that's where things really started ramping up. And then after about a two-week, two-year period, this past August, I was able to achieve running a marathon every single day because I ran 22 marathons in 22 consecutive days across the province of uh, BC in the month of August in the hottest freaking summer we've had and all the forest fires and whatnot. But what I'm illustrating here is that, man... I was not a dude who could run anything. And then at two years of going all in, getting after it, just living it, I'm able to run a marathon every single day now if I wanted to. So then, so now it's been a five-year sort of plan. So now we're at a stage where I just executed that big training block, which is uh, August 22 marathons, 22 days. The next sort of endeavor is going to be next year, where the goal is to run from Terry Fox Memorial in Thunder Bay to mile zero in Victoria, which is 3,100 kilometers. 
the goal for that is to run 60 kilometers every single day for 52 days. Now, you know, that's a lot. But the reason why we're jumping these things up is because the record is significant. And I need these massive training blocks to be able to prepare my body for whatever's going to happen. Then also understand the terrain that I'm going to be on, understand the, the environment, who I'm going to connect, all these different things. So, um, so the goal, just for your listeners, the, the, the record currently is held by a guy named Dave Proctor, who's from Calgary. And he uh, he said it last year, and uh, the it's seventy three hundred kilometers in sixty seven days, ten hours is the record that he so, uh, set, and I think that was uh, in and around one hundred seven, one hundred eight kilometers a day for that many days, right? So so what I'm trying to achieve is close to one hundred ten kilometers, one hundred nine kilometers a day uh, for sixty six days, which would break the record. So that's why you know each year I'm progressively increasing the distance and the workload to be able to uh, achieve that goal. And as you talk about these events, I, I'm sure it's difficult for, for laymen to connect with you um, as it relates to um, how abhorrently ridiculous some of these events sound. Um, but, but I feel mindset is made up of small and basic principles. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's repeating them and it's having the condition, the discipline to obviously uh, repeat some of these things. But what are some of the basic principles that you are utilizing to guide your everyday? Because, you know, whilst while you're embarking on a Trans-Canada run, um, that itself just sounds preposterous. Um, there are also people struggling to get out of bed on a morning, you know, and, and mm. move themselves away from some of the addictions they have and the mental health. Is any anything you could share with the audience as it relates to some advice, as it relates to some of the small things they can start doing uh, to start changing and maybe evolving their lifestyles? Yeah, for sure, man. And listen, I was one of those guys not too long ago, man. I was having some really major difficulties and... It, it resulted in me trying to square myself away by engaging with people that I thought might have some suggestions that may help me. And fortunately for me, I met my friend, Sean Taylor, and I'll just give a bit, a little bit of background just to kind of give um, perspective. So Sean Taylor is a 60 year old fella. He's from Rossland, BC, or currently lives in Rossland, BC. It's a small little town and, and, and it's a sleepy little town, ski hills and all that kind of stuff. And um, he's a retired tier one operator, JTF2 warrant officer, and he's a plank holder. So he was, um, he was selected to be on the teams when it was first created in Canada 30 years ago. So kind of a big deal, <laughs> and at least in my books. And um, so I came across his social media uh, a couple years ago, his Instagram account, and I saw JTF2 tier one. And I know what that is. And maybe a lot of people don't, to be honest, I've asked many people and most of them don't know what that is, but I did. And um, so I got curious because at the time, a couple years ago, I was pretty isolated, man. I wasn't really connecting with anyone anymore. I was super, super isolated and partly on my own doing. And then also I just felt like it couldn't relate to very many people. Um, whatever the reasons are, that's what my scenario was at the time. And I felt so lonely. It was during the pandemic, man. I was like, it was dark times. And um, I had just ran a hundred kilometers on the 7th of November, 2021. Uh, to raise money for the BC Yukon Legion for veterans uh, with PTSD. And I had just, fin I just raised 21,000 uh, that day for that run. And 
I connected with him through that process when I was doing the social media because he was on social media and he's kind of tracked me. I tracked him. Anyway, so um, in December of 2021, I uh, I was at work at the airport at the time, and my, uh, my friend Sean Taylor is also a, he's also a friend of uh, another friend of mine, Seb Lavoie. He's retired uh, RCMP ERT team leader of 12 years, and he has a strict. Uh, uh, tactical and strategic uh, company now that he helps other organizations. But having said that, I so Seb Lavoie is a good friend of mine. I saw Seb and Sean Taylor hanging out, and I'm like, man, what the hell is going on here? Who's this Sean Taylor fella? And then uh, so I had seen them coming back from Haiti. They're doing some work, uh, contract work in Haiti <clears throat> in December, and they came back. And then uh, Seb lives in the lower mainland, Vancouver. So he went back home. But in December of 2020, it was a massive snowstorm here in, in the Vancouver area. So Sean's flight was canceled to go back home. Right. So I, you know, he, and he's active on his social media. So he posted up in his uh, stories, uh, you know, out here, anyone will go for a coffee or something like that. So I hit him up and I was like, Hey man, you want to go do something, grab a beer or something. Anyways, long story short, we ended up meeting up, grab a coffee and a bite 30 minutes turned to three hours and we were just uh, talking and it was very helpful for me, man. Cause I, uh, I felt a connection with somebody and when I was feeling super alone. And so after the conversation, I was like, Hey man, we, you cool to kind of keep doing this. And he's like, yeah, if you think this will help. And I was like, yeah, man, this, I think this will help. So what ended up happening? And this is very pivotal for my life. Um, it's almost like the hero's journey in the sense of, um, you know, the mentor comes in, you know, Gandalf comes in and kind of gives a bit of advice and things start moving in a certain direction, you know? So I, uh, I, I ended up zoom calling him almost every other day, sometimes almost every day for about two or three months, um, two hours, three hours, whatever the time was, it didn't really matter. So in that, those conversations, you know, we got to become friends. Right. And, um, I learned that he wasn't only tier one, but he was an assaulter, master sniper. He was all the things he, uh, after he left the military, he, you know, he taught at the police college in Ontario. Then he left that career, became a computer systems engineer, did that for a while, left that, went to private security, uh, and then a public security left that. And then he opened up a coffee shop and then he did that. And then he left the coffee shop and then he, he be, then he started, uh, you know, his, his wife was also a, a pretty big deal engineer. So she was working at the time and they had a, a kid. So he was like, okay, I'll stay home with the kids, take care of the kids kind of thing. Right. But you know, you know how the tier one kind of mentality is you can't really sit and do nothing. So he started mountain biking and, and, uh, got after it and he became a world champion in 24 hour solo mountain bike races. And, um, he eventually was really good at that. And, and you know, people started hitting him up and he ended up being, a, a, an elite coach performance coach for these type of athletes over 15 years. And he's tra trained over six world champions and hundreds of athletes all over the world. And, now he, he gave that company to one of his athletes and he's podcasting now. But having said that, so anyway, so I wanted to kind of give a sort of background of, of my friend. So he entered my life at the right time. It's the right person, right type of information, right type of support all together. And here are the tips that he kind of suggested to me that I just took and dove right in. Right. And he said, suggested, you need to sit down and figure out your why. Grab a pen and paper, sit down, figure it out. It doesn't matter how long it takes. So I spent about two weeks, man, just figuring out what I want to do in my life. 
what do I want to do? Once I figured that out, he's like, okay, now figure out the velocity in which you want to get there and then take action. That's it. That's all I've done. That's it, man. And, and really that's all it's been. It's been, what do I want? And now that's the simplified version of it. There's been a lot of things coming up, coming in my way and things that are slowing me down. But then what happens? I re- refer back to my purpose, and my why, and I grind through it. Because now you, for me, my purpose and my why is so um, powerful for me. Nothing can stop me. Nothing will stop me because I'm just so into it. Now, how does one create a why and a purpose and, and attach to it so massively? Well, maybe I have a few things internally that I have that I can kind of um, harness. I'm a passionate dude. I'm, I'm all, like you give me something that I like, I'm all in, man, I'm passionate. So I think there's a, a level of passion that you need to have coupled with that purpose and that why. And pretty much I, I can say without a shadow of a doubt, you can accomplish some pretty crazy things. And I never thought, I honestly, man, I'm, I am an average dude at best. And um, looking at what I've accomplished and what I, what I hope to accomplish, man, I never thought in a million years I'd be able to achieve what I've already have, man. I didn't think you would be one, like all these different podcasts and interviews. I didn't think in a million years, anyone would want to talk to me about anything, right? So, Proof is in the pudding. I, I, I'm in real time experiencing the benefits of um, delayed gratification, purpose, why, and being passionate about something in real time. Like, so when I'm doing a lot of these things, people can see my transformation like in real time. Like if you were to go back two years ago to the first podcast I did, you would see a huge, hear a huge difference. So, um, so to the tips now, that sounds really grand, but you, you were mentioning, oh, how does someone get out of bed in the day? Or how does someone do this? Or very basic things. If you're thinking about yourself all the time, it becomes really hard to get out of bed. It, it just is, man, because like you're consumed with your own life. So what I started trying to do is being less selfish. Stop thinking about myself all the time. And the first thing, so when, and I was naturally just always thinking about myself without even thinking that I was, I thought I was a great guy, but man, I was freaking selfish if I were to objectively look at it. And so what I started trying to find ways to become less selfish and it started with baby steps, man. It started like, because if you would have asked me to do something for someone else, I'd be like, for what, what do I get out of it? That's what I used to say. Right. So I wanted to be a better person. So I used Sean Taylor and my friend Seb Lavoie as avatars of types of people that I wanted to be like. And then not be them for sure, like be them, but just take the best parts of them that I like that I thought would fit for me and just um, assimilate them into my, my being. Right. So it started off very small and it, it's, it, this is another thing that stuck with me um, when I was going through my divorce, my ex-wife called me selfish and man, I still remember that. She was like, you're selfish. And I thought when she said that, that's you, man. No, I'm not. I do this. I do that. But she was on. She was right. I was freaking selfish, man. And so what I want, what I'd started doing during the pandemic. So during the pandemic, I was living in the basement suite I had bought. Or when the basement suite of the house that I bought with my ex-wife that we bought together. Just to make things easier. We have a young daughter. So it kind of worked out that way. So I was like, okay, I'm going to 
I got to figure out how not to be selfish. And, you know, how do I do this? How do I start creating a pattern of behavior that's going to allow me to think of others? Okay, cool. Now with the pandemic's going on, um, you know, people are shopping for other people because you don't want to go in different environments and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So anytime I, and I was out of the house most because I was working and whatnot. So anytime I'd go anywhere, I'd ask my ex-wife, Hey, do you need anything from the store? Do you need anything from the store? Just baby steps. Every single, at the beginning, she would tell me to go pound sand. F you. I don't want to talk to you. Like, I, I mean, I was an asshole, man. Like, what do you, what, you know what I mean? Like, she's not going to, but I, I still did it. I still engaged that process, even though it sucked every, I knew what was going to come every single time I asked her, but eventually it got to a point where she's like, okay, cool. Pick this up. Okay. Pick this up. And then I expanded that even further to her parents. I'd be like, oh, do you guys need anything from the store? Okay, yeah, get this, get this. And I would never argue, even though in my head, I'm like, man, F this. I would, I, would, I would try to create new patterns of behavior. And that's essentially what I've done for everything in my life that I thought I needed to improve upon. Now, it's not easy, man. It's a freaking challenge. But what do I revert back to? My why. So every single time it gets difficult, every single time I'm like, man, F this, I go back to, okay, what am I doing this for? Why am I doing this? I'm doing it for this reason. It's, it's, it's not about me. It's about, it's about the greater good, or at least um, it's not about me. It's just about me maximizing my skills so that I can just be a better version for everyone around me. And that's the essence of what I try to do all the time. I hope that makes sense. It makes um, such to me. It makes makes perfect sense, and and I hope it does to uh, for, for our listeners. Uh, certainly, some of the key takeaways as it relates to how you drive that 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 sense of well being um, through through that why I'm, I'm sure that does. It is funny. I was I was hearing a few things that that certainly uh, resonate over. I would say the last four or five years for myself. Um, one as and you alluded to this through you've got some pretty remarkable people on speed dial by the sounds of things that are going to be helping you on this journey. And it's, it's more evidence that life's a team sport. Um, and, and I never, never really succumbed or surrendered to that. I've always been more of an introvert, more comfortable in my own skin when I'm by myself. Um, but also the conditions where I wouldn't get that level of fulfillment that I could achieve um, only came through the realization that it's people that matter and and other people. And, you know, whether it's service through the military or, you know, through, uh, through the police or paramedics, just serving in nature it generally is some of the drivers that that promote some of those uh, feel good chemicals and getting that right balance rather than going all in on dopamine and, and find ourselves in you know in a, in a, in a poor cycle form and and that came for me with the why um, I was actually reading. Simon Sinek's book um, about the why, which you know does a really good job of outlining it. Certainly, certainly for laymen, mm. um, and that drove me to a point where before I could really contextualize and and you know format my why. I had to have a bit of a fight with my ego. Um, and I really had to go all in, which led me to another piece of work by Eckhart Tolle. I don't know if you're familiar with, with, with his work um, mm. and, and the power of now. And that was a game-changing moment uh, because... He did four pillars as well, didn't he? Uh, I haven't come across the, the four pillars. Uh, the new earth and... Um, the new earth and, and the power of, of now were, were, were two. And, yeah. and, and I'm, sure, I'm sure he's got more. But it was that with like, 
decoupling and and decoding my ego surrendering to what it was um mm. because like your ex-wife was saying to you your ego say no i'm not selfish <laughs> you know uh, whilst everything you demonstrated may it may have been and, and once i've kind of got in sync with my ego and what it is and what it's trying to do um then it could allow me to really lean into my way and, and that became a game-changing moment and as i've spoke to so many people around some of these topics and some of these subjects it all consists of other people of serving other people in some way shape or form which makes sense as to how i believe we evolved you know i'm not necessarily creationist and you can see how that all makes sense from our evolutionary times to serve to serve with us so um yeah really really profound um and yes i'm i'm slightly envious of the people that you've got on, on speed dial because um you know nobody's self-made we're all here as a result of mm. you know uh, so many man. people impacting us so much so man like i used to I, and to your point, like to, to much like you, I was kind of an introvert, man. I, I thought, you know, I do my own, this, that, and the other. And again, it was a pivotal conversation I had with Sean. And he's like, man, do you want to get to the finish line after you run across Canada alone? You want to be by yourself? I was like, no, man, I don't. <laughs> he goes, well, you got to figure that out then. <laughs> and, and he's right. Like I, I had a really, uh, and you know, part of the problem why I was, I didn't really hang out with people or talk to people as much or, or engage as much as probably or not probably but a lot had to do with me not truly understanding myself well and how to interact properly for me right and um and being self-conscious as to what people might want me to act like so which would take a lot of draw a lot of energy out of me and and now i just i see so much value now in connecting with people because a hundred percent i would not be here right now if it weren't for a slew of other people like a hundred percent. I get emotional thinking about it, man. I would not be here right now if it weren't for a, a, a group of people for sure, because I've been leaning on some people from time to time. Not that they're telling me what to do, but their, their wisdom is so valuable, man. And, and now I'm also finding wisdom in people that you may not even think may have that wisdom because now I'm diving deeper in this space now, like where I want to, I'm thirsty for knowledge as much as I can get, you know? And, um, man, I'm like, okay, so I was telling you, I'm uh, helping teach uh, jujitsu to kids now, you know, from basically from, uh, five, six years of age to like, you know, 15 ish. Right. And, uh, I'm the support coach, you know, there's the other people there that are teaching, but I'm even learning from these other people that, you know, maybe I might know some more stuff, but they know way more than me when it comes to how do you properly teach a technique to a kid? Right. And, you know, little things about how their feet move and how their hand, you know, all these little things, I, you know, it's just the, the nuances to various little things. And for me now, I'm, I'm trying to also understand how to properly deliver information to people so that they can receive it. Because I do, I do myself coaching now and I, I do performance coaching and nutrition coaching and, and all these types of things. And for me, it's, for me, it's also a new space where I want to learn and get better at because I want to also help encourage others to achieve what they don't think they actually can achieve, but they absolutely can. Right. Because I was just there. Like, and for me, it's such a, such a gift to be able to, like, I can imagine what Sean feels like right now watching me. Like he spent two months kind of hanging out with me and, you know, shooting the whatever. And I can only imagine what that feels like to see me doing what I'm doing, what that, he, he'll probably say I didn't do anything and it's whatever. I just talked to you and this, that, and the other, whatever. Right. But the reality is he was, he was, a, he was a person that I could talk to and um, have a conversation with in my darkest times. And 
for someone like that to see where I am and then where I'm trying to go, man, it probably does something for him. And and I also that's another element of me trying to also um continue on my path. I want to make him proud, man. I don't want him to feel like he wasted his time with me. You know what I mean? So there's all these different ways, like at least for me now, I'm trying to find ways, even if I have to recreate them or imagine them to keep me moving in the direction that I'm moving in, if that makes sense. So what I mean by that is like, if I have to create more things or more goals that are so astronomical, that'll keep me on the path of what I'm trying to do. So for example, my goal is to run across Canada, break the record. Okay, what else can we add to that? Raise millions of dollars for charity, impact the entire country. Um, you know, like all these different things that I'm just throwing at it. To s- maybe they materialize, maybe they don't, mm-hmm. but it keeps me on the path. Which is, which is, so damn important at the end of this um and again you you mentioned a couple of things well one thank you for being so open and so vulnerable in sharing um but it it's so liberating once you decouple i personally found when i decoupled the game of status and image and kudos and, and how I'm perceived by others when I could shake those shackles off um, and, and be a truer form of myself and understanding what that was. I, I then found myself um, trying to pull in people while I just spent my life pushing people away uh, because they didn't fit into the hierarchical scale as to where I thought I was in mm. this game that we're playing. And, and that, you know, like yourself is so liberating because it, it drives you to do more and, and serve more. And, you know, one of the, one of the major benefits as it relates to, um, the release of serotonin, uh, in some of these instances and oxytocin, um, it, also, it's it's habitual. Um, so it passes and cascades these feelings to others and, and it reciprocates along the line. So I can definitely resonate with with everything everything you share in there. And you actually segued really nice um, as it relates to the veterans piece. Um, there's a significant substance behind this and this is raising uh, funds for, for veterans. Um, something, again, quite close to my heart through, through the work I did before where I find myself now. Um, why veterans um there's so many incredible causes and it can be hard to really determine which and where you go to but uh, why the vets for you yeah so it's veterans and first responders for me emergency personnel so that includes pretty much any emergency personnel in uniform and why well first um i was affected right and um i've served my community uh for a number of years so number one i was affected um, and I can see some of the gaps that are in, uh, in this, in this space that I think need to be filled. Number one, number two, I have a family history of service, right? So, I mean, up until like my great grandfather served in world war one, British Indian army, my great uncle served in British Indian army. Uh, he was a Lieutenant Colonel. And then my grandfather was a police officer. Uh, my, my uncle was a Colonel. Um, so I've had family members that have served that I've always kind of looked at. Like, I remember when I was a kid, man, like, mind you, my, my uncle, my dad's older brother, a uh, colonel in the Indian army. And, uh, I remember as a child, I went to India, we went to go visit him and he took us up to, uh, Kashmir. And so, you know, a lot of people aren't allowed there. He was a commander up there, uh, at, at one of the bases. So 
normal civilians weren't allowed to go. So I saw the atmosphere, man, as a young kid, what that was like, you know. And um, first of all, up there, uh, Kashmir and uh, Jammu was the area and beautiful area, war torn, but beautiful. And then I just saw the people, the, the military personnel. I saw... I mean, I saw how my uncle was respected for uh, the command, right? And, 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 and the various different things associated to it. I had another uncle, my dad's sister, his, her husband was a brigadier general. So, I mean, I had all these sort of interactions with these diff various different people. And then my dad had a really close friend in Delhi who was um, uh, a major general. So we, you know, he was in, in charge of the De uh, Delhi uh, post there. So, you know, all these interactions with different people. So I felt, man, like, uh, and then I'm a Sikh. I grew up in a Sikh household, right? And um, and and for your listeners, see, I'm not a religious person, but I did grow up in that sort of household where service and military and policing and sort of the the mindset of a Sikh person is a martial sort of saint soldier mentality. And so I grew up in that. So for me, it seemed like a natural progression to raise awareness and funds for veterans and first responders because I didn't see it happening from my perspective in the way that, um, you know, other organizations are. And, you know, a lot of other organizations do get tons of support, you know, cancer research, children's care, all of them, all amazing. Right. But this one space, you, you don't seem to see much. And I was like, you know what, I'm this is where I belong. So I'm going to go here. Love it. Uh, love it for, for self-biased reasons. Um, and, and, and I can, I can definitely concur with your, your thoughts and sentiments and I'm sure throughout the path of, you know, serving and, and, you know, um, gaining awareness and, and financial funds for, for these, for these charities, um, you've done your research and are you aware of the, the current, um, the suicide rate, um, around veterans in, in North America, um, mm -hmm. staggering, like truly staggering, um, especially for, if you put into perspective as it relates to the numbers and how those play into the unit size. So, um, any, anything between 15 and, and 20, uh, people were losing from, from a vet community, people who served in, in some way, shape or form, yeah. um, mm -hmm. over two weeks, that's a company, six weeks, that's a battalion, uh, six months, that's a brigade of people that were like staggering levels. It's uh, crazy, it's man. Like, and, and that takes, 25 years to create a brigade on that scale with that experience and we're losing this um you know two brigades a year um something has to to be done and my fear is you know having served in iraq and afghanistan iraq and northern ireland um once the when it starts to disappear into the background just like vietnam did um, we'll take our foot off the gas and then it'll be, it'll spark up on the next major engagement, but there has to be some significant work done, I think. And, uh, I think the U S and the UK for which I was, you know, served, I've got a decent pulse, but I won't go much further on a decent pulse. And, and I think exactly where you are, which is on the Canadian front, um, I think there's still a lot of work to do. Um, pretty and significant. You know what? I'm, I'm all for it, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's the thing, man, like the way I see it. And you're absolutely right. This, the uh, suicide rate is an epidemic, man. Like in 2011, a study was conducted in the U.S. that revealed that 22 veterans a day commit suicide. And that was in 2011. And that's American veterans. So now if you were to combine first responders, emergency personnel, and Canada, that... <laughs> 
I don't even know what that number turns into, man, but it's, it's a high number. So that's why I decided to run 22 marathons in 22 days was um, to highlight the fact that, man, we got an issue here. Now, you're right. Uh, the United States and, and the UK are doing a far better job than we are here in Canada. But, you know, there is a movement and I'm sure you can kind of feel it and see it across the country based on what you do. I've been seeing it for sure. And there is a group of veterans and first responders across this country that are starting to mobilize and advocate and speak. Um, Sean Taylor being one of them, Seb Lavoie being another. And they're very at the forefront and they're leaders in their own right. And, and you know, there's people, you know, uh, Tim Turner on the island, Army Sergeant Major. Right. And then you got people in Ottawa. We got people there that are kind of. So I think, dare I say, what I'm trying to do is be that lightning bolt. What I'm trying to do, because I see all these different sort of um, brothers and sisters across the country doing certain things, almost in silos, you know, as, as, as individual cells across the country, which is great. But there's got to be a way to bring them all together and moving forward. So one of the things that I'm trying to do is kind of help with that. If I can help with, you know, galvanizing the country around a common goal in 2025, i.e. run across Canada in the footsteps of Terry Fox, man, there's something there. We can do something as a collective, not me as an individual, but as a collective, right? So <clears throat> I've been saying this at some of the, the speaking engagements that I've been going to. Look, Terry Fox was a gem and an idol and an inspiration for everyone, not just in Canada, but pretty much all over the world. If anyone knows who he is, they should, they, they should actually start really uh, looking into him if you don't already know. And... Um, you know, all I'm trying to do, the blueprint's already been created by him, man. I'm just trying to follow in his footsteps as much as I can. And in the way I see it, man, he did something very special. You know, he passed away 40 years ago. And in 40 years, a billion dollars has been raised in cancer research since he's passed away. That's no joke, man. So in the way I see it, the mental health crisis is our modern day cancer. So if we can try to figure out a way as a group, as a collective, to galvanize as many people as, uh, around this, maybe perhaps, you know, while I'm running across Canada, there's no better way, I think, to do that because that is a thing here. It's a thing that we do in Canada we, to raise awareness, raise funds, and Terry Fox laid that foundation. So who am I to change it? Love it. Um, and you're right, I think... Canadians and, and Canada's generally a compassionate nation um, and, and rally behind a cause. And it just may need us to elevate and, and raise the flag slightly as it relates to the crisis around some of the things that you, you're speaking about. And um, as it relates to our listeners, how how can they, how can we get behind you on your endeavors, um, especially with what you're embarking on next year? And then, of, of course, what appears to be now the big one, but who knows what's happening the year after that as it relates to, yeah. to running across Canada? What can we do, be doing to, to, to help serve you? I think the, the easiest, well, the number one way, most definitely, I support a charity called the Honor House Society. It's a charity in the Lower Mainland in New Westminster, BC, and they service all veterans, current military staff, current serving first responders and emergency personnel or retired with any, if you're from the BC area or even outside of BC, let's say, for example, but 
primarily, let's say you're from BC, up north in BC, and you need to come down to the Vancouver area for any kind of medical treatment, you have a place to stay for free for as long as you want. For as long as you want. So it's a, a Honor House is a massive house that can house uh, five or six families. So the individuals, the members with their families, and they can stay together so they don't have to be apart while they're getting whatever treatment they need. So that's the one facility that they uh, that they have in Westminster. They have another facility in Ashcroft, BC, which is about a three and a half hour drive from the lower mainland in the mountains in the uh, Kootenays area, I believe. And... Um, <clears throat> It's on 120 acres, has 10 cabins, it has a lodge, they're working on building another 10 cabins, and that is available to any veteran, first responder, emergency personnel, active or retired, at any time if they want to be able to go there to recalibrate, get back to nature, get back to, uh, you know, they're, they're getting some horses there, so equine therapy, they're doing retreats there, so if you're a first responder want to do a retreat, that place is available to you for free, you can just bring whoever, and then you can kind of engage in it, so... All the money that I raise in awareness is for them. And so if anyone wants to support, please donate to them. Go to their website. You get a tax-free, uh, uh, obviously, a uh, uh, tax-free credit. You can go to my uh, Instagram account. I have a link tree. You can go directly to Honor House there. If you want. I have a GoFundMe page so that you can um, go donate there directly and you'll get a receipt and, and, and whatnot. So uh, that would be the first. Now, if, if you don't have the means, that's okay, too. Um, please follow uh, all my platforms, which are Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. If you can follow, subscribe, like, all those things that helps generate more awareness for what we're trying to do so we can push this out even further. And for now, I think that, you know, those would be the first two ways I would suggest that if people want to help, that would be the first two immediate ways. The, the final way would be sponsors. Uh, we're looking for sponsors to help pay for some of the costs of the things that we're trying to do here. And um, look, running from doing those 22 marathons in a row, that costed me out of pocket about 15K, right? And so we had a few sponsors for sure. We ended up getting about seven, $8,000 worth of sponsors. But as you can imagine, um, running from Thunder Bay to Victoria will be much more uh, costly in terms of uh, logistics. So if there's any corporation or company or um individuals that are willing to sponsor or support that endeavor please hit me up we can have those conversations as well in incredible um and and i want to get involved in in supporting supporting your cause um i'll i'll attach all the links that you've that you mentioned there um and any likes that any of the episodes with you um that that we release there um i'm going to be making a donation from every like that comes in for, oh, for wow. this episode i'll make sure that finds its way directly uh directly to to, to you guys um incredible stuff well as i wrap up here uh satch um and this will probably be hard for you to digest you are an incredible chap uh you are an inspiration mm. um your journey's been impeccably difficult it's very obvious uh, but from where you've come from to where you are um i, I think you i think you're a beacon for most and that includes me so uh best of luck with this year um i hope you can enjoy the holiday period a little um but outside of that uh, we'll see you on uh, we'll we'll see you much more in 2024 appreciate your time such yeah thank you so much and i just want to say one thing thank you so much for giving me the time and space to share what i've been going through and share what i'm trying to do and man i, I uh thank you for the kind words and i appreciate it thank you